I always said if I had to have a favorite child out of equity, diversity, and inclusion, <laughs> not that anyone is loved more than the other, but I might have a little soft spot for inclusion. Um, right. The reason being is that I, I, I truly believe that you can, you know, strive for numbers and targets. And I, I think it's important to have them. Please let me be very clear about that. We, you know, we have to see our progress in order to know we're we're moving the dial and we're getting better. Um, but if we don't have inclusive workplaces, if we don't have cultures where people feel that they can excel, speak a different opinion, challenge ideas, share knowledge, um, then people won't stay. This is Flux Capacitor, a podcast about the future of electricity. I'm Francis Bradley of the Canadian Electricity Association, and for the next three episodes, I'm handing over the mic to champions of equity, diversity, and inclusion in the electricity sector. Welcome to the International Women's Day Flux Capacitor Takeover. everyone. My name is Asuka Bohm and I am the Senior Reliability Analyst at the Canadian Electricity Association. Today I will be your Flux Capacitor host for this very special International Women's Day Takeover. I'm joined today by Starlene McDonald, Manager of Equity, Diversity and Inclusion at Ontario Power Generation. Thank you for joining me and welcome to the podcast, Starlene. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so why don't you start off and tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came into this position of Manager of Equity, Diversity and Inclusion at OPG. Excellent. Sure. I'd be happy to tell you a little bit more about that. And thank you for having me today on this uh, special event. Glad to hear that we are taking over with these flex capacitor uh, opportunities. So that's fantastic. So with me um, and how I came into the role, I would say um, it really goes back uh, a long time. Um, I started my career uh, wanting to be a social worker. So I attended Ryerson and I did my bachelor's degree in social work. And I was very um, lucky and fortunate to attend Ryerson, the you know anti-oppressive framework. And I did a lot of studies in, um, in Caribbean studies and anti-racism um, even back then, which was several years ago. And so it really did set that foundation for me around um, you know different groups of people that are historically marginalized and, and how we are living in a society where, you know, there are certain systems that favor one group over another and, um, mm -hmm. you know, really trying to break down some of those barriers. But I didn't move into social work. Um, at the time, uh, there was a lot of funding cuts in social services. And so I ended up moving into human resources. And I went on to my um, career as an organizational learning and development specialist. And I did a lot of work within organizations to support organizational learning and development. And part of my portfolio had always been employee engagement and supporting employee inclusion. And most recently, you know, within the last 10 years, a real focus on psychological safety. So, you know, when I came to OPG, I came uh, to OPG in a, in a similar capacity, in organizational development capacity, and was supporting a leadership development program when, um, as an organization, about four or five years ago, we determined that equity, diversity, and inclusion was going to be a really important part of our work. 
And so we started working on EDI five years ago, which I think, you know, when I look back now, it was a little bit of ahead of the time <laughs> um, compared to what I've noticed within, you know, the past 12 months post George Floyd and what happened in the US and right. what conti what's continuing to happen here in Canada, there's definitely been more of a push for organizations to have a focus on EDI. and uh, I feel fortunate that with OPG that work started a few years ago. And so mm -hmm. it did give us an opportunity to kind of um, uh, set some educational learning pathways for employees just to even talk and understand the concepts of EDI. and um, And so that's really how I came into this position. I, I, I joined a team in a capacity of organizational learning and um, it really just opened up an opportunity to work in EDI and i more specifically and, uh, and more focused, a more focused effort on EDI and i specifically. Right. Okay. Could you give us a little bit more detail or on some experiences uh, at OPG that you could share in initiatives specifically that you're working on at OPG? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when we, you know, when we first started out a few years back, we we talked about learning um, being a really important part of of understanding um, equity, diversity, and inclusion. I think there's a lot of people who who confuse um, the the topics or use the terms interchangeably, and so we really wanted to make sure that right from the beginning we kind of set on the path of understanding the fundamentals of equity, diversity, and inclusion. And so we worked in partnership with the Canadian Centre for Diversity and Inclusion, CCDI, and we did some education three years ago. One was on the fundamentals of EDI, and then we also proceeded to do some education for our leaders um, around unconscious bias. So it was a really good opportunity to start exploring some of those topics early on. So I would say, you know, one pathway that we definitely took was one of education and awareness building. Um, we're very fortunate at OPG that we have several employee-led um, what we call our equity, diversity, and inclusion committees, and they are tripartite in nature, meaning that they have um, representatives from our society union, our uh, power workers union, and our management group. And um, those groups of folks support these committees and really do a lot of education and awareness building at the site level. So they're a great, um, uh, I would say, extension of my team because they do a lot of work that I can't get to because I'm one person and, you know, the organization is so broad. So these champions are, are really a fantastic um, uh, resource for the organization to spread the word and to do more learning and awareness. So we, we ramped up some of those committees. We added some more committees where we didn't have any. Um, and we also put some, um, some programs in place. So, you know, we looked at um, how could we embed equity, diversity, and inclusion in the hiring process. And so we did some training and education for our hiring managers on the importance of bias when, when, when recruiting. We also took the opportunity to create a special program where um, in recognition that we didn't have a lot of racialized employees and the senior leadership ranks of the company, we created a program called Mentoring Plus. And that program supported employees who are interested in climbing the corporate ladder, who are racialized employees, and meant, um, partnering them with a mentor or someone uh, at the senior ranks um, to help them really get into some new networks, um, create some more opportunities for partnerships, and um, basically be seen by some individuals that maybe they didn't have that exposure to previously. And that program was, was very successful. And we would, you know, we work really, really closely with our talent 
group. Um, that group is responsible for our management development programs, our succession programs. Um, you know, um, we work closely with our recruitment team and our onboarding team. We work closely with workforce analytics. We also created an employment equity dashboard. So this is kind of a Power BI tool that allows us to see at a glance, you know, what are the percentages of the different employees within um, the, the organization. So that allows us to have a better understanding of our workforce and our, our population as a whole. So there's lots of exciting things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's a lot of work. Uh, this year we're focusing um, on a new Uh, demographic survey or census to understand our employee population beyond just the people who are part of the four equity groups and wanting to learn more about um, our workforce and who are who's in our workforce you know different races different religious backgrounds and and because we recognize that that information would be really important for us to understand as a company to really understand our people better and uh, our education theme for this year is about anti-racism so we're looking forward to in the fall delivering some education um, to the organization around anti-racism as well. Okay. Yeah, that's really great. It sounds like you have a lot of stuff going on at OPG. (laughs) Lots of work. I'm sure it keeps you busy. Very much. Yes. Mm -hmm. So in addition to, you know, there's obviously a lot of different aspects to equity, diversity, and inclusion. And one of the, you know, kind of main focuses of this type of work is around the gender divide. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I just wanted to ask about uh, that since obviously the electricity industry is an industry that employs a lot of people with STEM backgrounds, a lot of people from the trades. Um, So how do we as an industry strive to include women at all levels of leadership within our companies so that, you know, as we implement things like your dashboard with the tracking, we're not just hitting numbers, but kind of making sure that there's a culture around supporting people that might already be in the industry working already. Yeah, so it's a great question. I think um, one of the pieces that we, you know, we signed on as at OPG, we signed on to both the Leadership Accord um, and the uh, 30% Club um, very early on in probably about three years ago now. Um, And I think one of the things we've always done is we've not always just focused on women, we've always focused on the four equity groups. So that's women, Indigenous people, racialized people, and persons with disabilities. And I think the importance in kind of looking at it from that perspective is that, you know, there's intersectionality that takes place as well with women. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we may recognize at OPG that there may be, you know, some women achieving certain things within certain ranks of the company, but it's important to recognize that the intersectionality plays a really key role in that as well. And so what I would say is that, you know, as an industry, there's a lot more we can do. <laughs> um, there's there's a continuous challenge with uh, engaging young women into these careers. Um, I, I think within our industry, we can really be creative and thoughtful, join forces and ranks with some with some educational programs and and really you know, see what we can do to leverage some ways in um, penetrating those early years and and really supporting opportunities to change things um, in their trajectory early on. Um, We've done some sponsorship and mentorship opportunities as well um, within the organization. And, um, you know, I I just believe that there's probably a lot more we can do when I look at the, the percentages of women that are graduating from STEM, it's still extremely low, 
right? Mm -hmm. Even though we're 20 years later, um, some of those percentages remain 20 to 25% women graduating from some of these specific engineering programs and trades programs. And, and I, I believe that's where we have to, you know, work harder to understand what we can do um, to, to really kind of get into some of those, um, understanding some of the challenges there and the opportunities. And from an industry perspective, we all choose to gain something if we can see that start to improve. I'm glad you brought up the intersectionality. I think that's really important to address that. Yeah, you know, as you pointed out, the divide isn't just by gender. So I graduated from an engineering program. I am the daughter of an immigrant. So it's, you know, very important to me to be inclusive of all those different aspects, um, you know, when talking about equity and diversity and inclusion. So going through the engineering program a lot, I often heard that, you know, there were low rates of women in the engineering program with me. And then oftentimes I heard that a lot of the attrition was not actually during the, the university degree, but afterwards in the workforce. Yeah. So a lot mm -hmm. of the women who or you know, other minority groups within STEM didn't actually leave during the education period, but, you know, there's a high rate mm -hmm. of attrition afterwards in the workforce. Yes. So how can we be more inclusive and supportive of people, you know, kind of starting out in their careers? That's and, a great question. Yeah. yeah to get the... them to make their way up to the top and to kind of get that change from within on a holistic level. Yeah, I love that question. And, I, and it's so important that, um, you know, it, it really does make a difference and and inclusion does matter and it's funny because you know I, I always said if I had to have a favorite child out of equity diversity and inclusion <laughs> not that anyone is loved more than the other but I might have a little soft spot for inclusion um, right. the reason being is that I, I, I truly believe that you can you know strive for numbers and targets and I, I think it's important to have them please let me be very clear about that we you know we have to see our progress in order to know we're we're moving the dial and we're getting better. Um, but if we don't have inclusive workplaces, if we don't have cultures where people feel that they can excel, speak a different opinion, challenge ideas, share knowledge, um, then people won't stay. And so I think for that reason, that's why um, I've heard similar stats to you. So I'm glad you brought that up because I've heard them now in multiple circles where people talk about going through so many years of you know, their engineering degrees and diplomas and then come out and get into a career. And then within a year or two, decide to kind of move into something completely different. And so mm -hmm. um, I've not done any proper research in this. I've talked to some people anecdotally, and uh, I have heard, you know, some, 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 you know, commentary and narrative around this, that it really does have to do with um, the environments and, and how right. are they being set up for people to be supported. So, right. Like there's nothing inherently wrong with switching fields, but it's, it's right. the reason for the switches. That's right. That's the concern. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and I think some of us, you know, we've probably all been there. I don't, I don't remember, you know, feeling a hundred percent, like I did social work as my degree and spent all my money <laughs> through university doing that. And then I got into something different, but, but what I know is fundamentally the values of what I'm doing is still very similar to what I've done in social work. And I think, mm -hmm. I think for those, you know, women, who maybe um, chose engineering, 
enjoy it for the different reasons that they did enjoy it, they've probably found other things within the field um, to, you know, bring them satisfaction and to still kind of um, engage with that part of them that they really love, um, that piece of work that they love. But the industry itself, I think, you know, when we think about the electricity industry, I think we should really start talking a little bit more about what our what we can do culturally within our organizations to ensure that we are providing both an inclusive workplace for people to thrive and a, a psychologically safe workplace as well. Right. Yeah. So do you have any examples that you could give of kind of what kind of cultural changes could be made? Great question. Oh man, there's, there's, um, there's first thing, first things first is you got to start measuring it. Right. So you right. can't change the culture with until you understand the culture. And in order to understand the culture, you really have to do a deep dive into, you know, talking to some specific focus groups, um, you know, taking an opportunity to do some surveys, some pulse surveys and asking some questions. And you, you should always make sure anytime you're doing a survey or collecting any type of data, it's really important to link that data back to some of those equity groups right? It's mm -hmm. really important to link that data back because, you know, for example, when, when somebody's exiting a company, right, if we talk about women who may be leaving our industry, if they're a racialized woman and they're leaving OPG, what are we asking in the exit interview? Do we understand, you know, are, do we see a higher rate of attrition from, say, women or racialized women than we do from men? And so mm -hmm. it's, it's further kind of, you know, getting at some of that information and then asking about whether people feel they can express different opinions, whether people feel they have a voice at the table, um, right. are they included? Are their ideas dismissed? Does people, uh, you know, kind of grab their ideas and make them their own? Are they spoken over during meetings? All of those kinds of behaviors begin to form the culture. And um, I think we're very lucky at OPG in that we have such a rich safety culture. And mm -hmm. um, we do a lot of what we call observation and coaching to help support our peers, if we see something that doesn't seem right or that may need some help and support. And so we're actually starting to unpack and, and, and understand ways we can include some of those inclusive behaviors into our observation and coaching techniques and tools as well. Right, right, because it's not necessarily enough to, to ask people to express, you know, their grievances and their issues, Yes, making sure that they feel safe enough to That's express right. those yeah. opinions and yeah, experiences, I guess, that's in order right. to make an actionable change. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a huge part. And I, I think the more leaders um, and, and uh, you know, unofficial leaders, when I say leaders, it doesn't, to me, it's not just people with the title of a manager. It's, it's our, um, you know, our safety leaders, our union leaders, you know, our, our frontline managers, our employees, like we, we all have an opportunity to lead in this space. And I think mm -hmm. it's sometimes it's the best form, the, the best way to kind of change that culture is to support one another. And I, I would rather, you know, you pulled me aside and said, Hey, Starlene, I heard you say something that was kind of, you know, just under the line. And it may, you mm -hmm. know, um, it may, it may offend someone. I would rather hear that from my peer than kind of have that escalated and end up in a situation down the road where you could end up in a, you know, a, a harassment investigation. And, and so we, we, we do this coaching all the time as it relates to safety. Like, I want to make sure you're wearing the right safety equipment and that you don't fall and that you have the right, you know, PPE and your personal protective equipment. 
But how are we making sure we're applying those same behaviors of supporting and coaching one another if we hear a racist joke, if we see behavior that is bullying in nature or harassing in nature? And I think when we start to get to that level in an organization where we start to call one another out in a supportive and coaching way to be able to kind of model that, I think we're getting to a better place within the culture within an organization. Right. So the progression that you see is that this will over time be naturally integrated into the overall occupational health and safety space. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that the tie-in is so important. And I think, um, I think COVID has really definitely elevated the need to recognize everyone's mental health and um, right. and that whole psychological safety has taken on a lot of different meetings since, since this has happened and there's a lot more attention on things like um, you know psychological safety but also on racism and sexism right. and so it's almost you know pre- presented a little bit of a perfect storm to just recognize how we can start building those things into our corporate culture. Right. Everyone kind of had the tools, but this is really forcing us to start putting them into use. Yeah, absolutely. So at the end of each Flux Capacitor episode, we like to ask our guests, what is the last book you read and would you recommend it to our listeners? I downloaded about six different books on Audible and I'm I'm in the process of a few. One was just recommended to me as of this week, actually, um, in a conversation with the um, the Durham Board of um, the Durham Board Education Network, Black Education Network. And um, this is a, a group that I'm I've reached out to as part of our work with uh, within EDNIs to understand a little bit about what we can do to support our local educational um, uh, organizations within the Durham region. And I spoke to an amazing woman on the phone and uh, she actually told me about this book called The Memo by okay. Minda, Minda Hartz, M-I-M-I-N-D-A Hartz, H-A-R-T-S. And it's called The Memo. And it's basically a book about what women of color need to do to ensure a seat at the table. So, you know, again, that intersectionality piece is really important. And um, I know that there was the great book called Lean In that a lot of us at OPG read about how women can secure a seat at the table. Um, But I think we have to recognize that obviously race plays a really key role um, within people having a seat at the table. And so I'm really excited to learn a little bit more and hear a little bit more about what this book uh, can offer from an insight perspective, because um, I think it will only help us as an organization. The other book that I would highly recommend as well is How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi. Um, it's funny, I, I like to read books and highlight <laughs> right. old school. I'm, I'm giving <laughs> away my, my age here. Um, <laughs> sticky notes and highlighting is kind of my, but book, Audible, you can't do that, but I've just figured out how to bookmark using Audible. And in chapter okay. one alone, I've used about 20 bookmarks in oh, this wow. book. So, um, you know, I think it's really important, especially in the first couple of chapters about how to be an anti-racist is, is what are we doing to challenge some of the systems? How are we taking opportunities to recognize that sometimes there's going to be unfairness before you can get to fairness? Because you can't expect years and years of historic you know, oppression and marginalization to just disappear overnight. And Mm so um, I think this book provides a really good framework for that. And I I have many more. So if you, (laughs) (laughs) I can go on and on. I I think uh, there's a lot The the skin we're in, I would say is another good one by Desmond Cole, who's a Canadian artist. So a Canadian writer, so a good opportunity to read that. And of course, I 
would be amiss if I didn't say White Fragility um, by Robin D'Angelo. Uh, amazing, uh, amazing book and just a great opportunity to learn more about, you know, for those of us who, like myself, who do have privilege and, and who mm -hmm. are white, um, what we can learn and how we can step into that space to support our, our, our peers and our allies. Yeah, no, great recommendations. I'll definitely have to add those to my list. <laughs> great. Yeah. Well, thank okay. you for having me. It was a great, it was great to join you today. Yeah, thank you so much for joining uh, me for this special takeover of the Flux Capacitor podcast. Uh, so we look forward to putting this out for International Women's Day. Great. Thanks so much, Starlene. Thank you. Have a great week. You too. We hope you enjoyed this very special International Women's Day Flux Capacitor Takeover episode with our guest host Aska Bohm and special guest Starlene McDonald from Ontario Power Generation. Tune in for the next episode taken over by Daniela Bidden and special guests Mackenzie Gillum from Hydro One and Alison Wood from Niagara Peninsula Energy. As always, we invite you to continue the electricity conversation on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and at electricity.ca.